millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Juan se lanzó marchándose al norte Iba en busca de una vida digna Cruzando México por valles y por montes Y bajo al lleno de fe Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Recently, Lane wrote a story about a man named Victor Becerra and his family. First, listen as she reads it, and then we'll tell you more about it. Today's topic, Victor and Maria. They cried at the airport, huddled by the tram to the terminal choking on their goodbyes. I love you. Call us. I'll miss you, Mama. Maria Martinez Rivera, then 33, shouldered her backpack and wiped her eyes. She'd not been apart from her husband in 16 years, not since she left Mexico and came to Clearwater to be with him. She'd never been away from their children, not even for a night. She was taking the baby with her. Six-month-old Aaron was strapped to her chest. Her other children, ages 14, 10, and 8, clung to her. On that morning in late April 2018, she didn't want to leave. But she knew for her family to move forward, she had to go back. We have to make it right, her husband said. Don't worry, you're going to get those papers and this will all be over. We'll see you soon. She was supposed to be gone for a month. Just enough time to fill out forms, have an interview at a U.S. consulate in Mexico, and get the visa that would allow her to live in the U.S. legally. For years, she'd been trying to obtain a green card so she could get a driver's license, go to night school, become a nurse, earn money to send her kids to college. This was the first step. The lawyer told us it would be no problem at all, said Maria's husband, Victor Becerra. I'm a U.S. citizen. The kids are all citizens. We just had to pay the fines and do the paperwork. But when Maria got to Juarez, her visa was denied. She's now been away from her family for more than a year, trapped in an immigration maze where the rules are changing. She has no idea if she'll ever be allowed back in the U.S. Her husband is trying to figure out how to help her. Her kids just wanted to come home. They keep asking me, why don't you bring her back, Victor said. It's devastating, heartbreaking. He's not asking for sympathy. Some people, he's sure, will be critical. And he knows hundreds of families have been separated at the border, suffering much worse fates. But he wants everyone to know this can happen. It is happening. For years, Maria had flown under the radar, illegally in the U.S., but visible, invisible to authorities. No one was looking for her. When she tried to make things right, everything went wrong. Victor grew up in San Luis Potosi, about 260 miles northwest of Mexico City, the second youngest of 13 children. 
His dad traveled back and forth to the United States, prepping food in restaurants, washing dishes, sending most of his wages home. When Victor was 16, his dad finally got a green card and papers to bring his wife and six youngest children to Florida. Victor learned English quickly, graduated from Countryside High, got a job at Publix, then an apartment with his brother. He was 25 when he went back to Mexico to see family in early 2003. A friend took him to a party on the block where Victor had grown up. There, beneath the stars, he saw her salsa dancing in the street. A beautiful dancer, he said. A beautiful girl. Maria had dark eyes and long, wavy black hair. She was 18. They danced and talked and watched the sunrise. When he got back to Florida, he called her whenever he could afford it and wrote every week. Six months later, he returned to Mexico to marry her. He told her it could take a while for them to be together, but he promised he would start the paperwork. Maria didn't want to wait. A month later, she called her new husband. She'd taken a bus to Nuevo Laredo. Someone who knew someone had given her a phone number. At the depot, she met a stranger, a coyote, who charged her $2,000 and, in the middle of the night, showed her and two other Mexicans where to safely walk across the border. Maria had only gotten a few steps into Texas when officers caught her. They took her fingerprints, moved her to a U.S. detention center for the night, then told her to go back to Mexico. Three days later, she tried again. I made it, she said when she called Victor. I'm here. He picked her up in a park. She was exhausted and excited and hadn't brought anything, not even a backpack. It was the greatest thing to have her with me, he said. That was happiness. They didn't worry about the consequences or plan for what came next. They were young and in love and together. On the, li- on the long drive back to his Clearwater apartment, they laughed and sang in his pickup. The next year, their first child was born, Julia. Victor got a new job building custom trailers, a new apartment across from the warehouse where he works, and an interview with immigration officials. On December 12, 2007, 13 years after moving to the U.S., Victor became a citizen. He took Maria to a Chinese buffet to celebrate. Her favorite food, he laughed. That night, he slid the certificate into a thick black frame and hung it on his bedroom wall, where he sees it first thing every morning and last thing every night. Of everything he's done, he said, he is most proud of that. Over the next decade, Victor and Maria talked to a dozen immigration lawyers. They spent more than $10,000 trying to navigate the complicated process. Maria petitioned for alien relative status. They waited and prayed and waited some more. They had two sons, Manuel and Gabriel. Maria took English classes and looked after the kids. Victor kept working full-time for express trailers, where he makes $14.75 an hour, about $30,000 a year. Victor's one of the most reliable employees I have, said General Manager Dan Linden, who's worked with him for a decade. He never complains. No one even knew about his situation here. He's just an honest, hardworking, family-focused father who's trying to take care of his kids the best he can. In early 2017, Victor and Maria met with an attorney from Catholic Charities who helped them fill out Form 1601A, a Provisional Unlawful Presence Waiver. If immigration officials accepted it, she could get a visa and apply for a green card. Another son, baby Aaron, was born that September. Two months later, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security approved Maria's application for a waiver. All she had to do was take her health records and family income tax returns to U.S. officials in Juarez. The earliest interview she could get was six months away. 
As soon as Maria's plane took off that morning, Victor and the kids started planning a party for when she returned. They'd have a picnic in the park with balloons and all sorts of pastries and a magic marker poster saying, Welcome home, Mama. Victor was at work on May 22, 2018, when Maria called. She had, just left, she had just left the consulate. She was sobbing. He couldn't tell if her tears were happy or sad. It took her a while to cough out the words. What are we going to do? We'll never be together again. At the interview, Maria had told officials she'd crossed into the U.S. illegally. Twice. She told them she'd lived in Florida for nearly half her life. Her husband and four children all are American citizens. She said she's never been arrested, doesn't drink or do drugs. She told them she was trying to make up for her past so her kids can have a better future. Then an interviewer asked whether she got food stamps in the U.S., and she got scared, Victor said. Maria had heard that President Trump didn't want immigrants like her getting public assistance, so she lied, Victor said, and of course they knew the kids had gotten help. Victor and Maria haven't talked to a lawyer since her visa was denied. They don't have money to hire one. They aren't really sure what to do. People who came into the U.S. illegally travel back to their native countries so that American embassies can forgive their unlawful presence, said St. Petersburg immigration attorney Ahmad Yazkan. If they find other reasons you're inadmissible, they can require another waiver. The form Maria got from immigration officials said she was denied under provision 212A4, public charge. That's a new thing, the lawyer said. Even if your kids are citizens, if you don't have an income, they fear you will become a public charge. Though Maria's husband works full-time and pays taxes to support public assistance programs, she was banned from coming back into the U.S. because her family got food stamps. That rule has been on the books for decades, lawyers said, but recently the interpretation has changed. Officials now are barring people who received any government help rather than trying to determine if they might become totally dependent on public assistance. In 20 years, the government has never enforced this, ever, said Shirley Sadaji, an immigration lawyer in Elgin, Illinois. It's just one more obstacle to the immigrant becoming a citizen or even getting back into the country. Sadaji has never met Victor or Maria, but when she heard their story, she said, Are you kidding me? This guy is a U.S. citizen. He has four U.S. kids. I can't even imagine what he must be going through. On school days, Victor rose at 5 a.m. to wake the kids, feed them breakfast, and get them to their bus stops. He built trailers all day in the hot warehouse, where some co-workers wore ball caps saying, Make America Great Again, and listened to Rush Limbaugh radio. He got home just in time to pick up his children and try to figure out what to do about dinner. He didn't know how to cook. He couldn't afford to take them out to eat. He's been sending Maria $200 a month for her and the baby. And if Maria gets a chance to apply for another visa... He wants to prove that he and the kids haven't been getting food stamps. So he canceled their public assistance, bought cases of ramen noodles at the dollar store, and learned how to make hot dogs. His kids, he said, are sick of hot dogs. The baby got bad in Mexico and needed special formula, so I had to sell all our furniture to send Maria more money, he said. For months, he and the kids sat on the floor to eat. Finally, someone gave them another table. Maria missed her children's birthdays. She didn't get to see an art exhibit that included Julia's drawings or help Manuel build his toy starship. Without his mom, Gabriel stopped speaking Spanish. Without his siblings, Aaron has grown up never hearing English. The family FaceTimes every night before bed. It's been so terrible for all of us, but especially for Julia, Victor said. She's had to grow up fast. 
Julia is 15 now, a rising sophomore and honor student in Gibbs High School's art program. She wants to be a fashion designer and fills sketch pads with ideas for dresses. For the last 15 months, she's cared for her two brothers, helping with their homework, reading to them. She misses her baby brother, and especially her mother. She hasn't told her friends. She doesn't want to open herself or her family to judgment. All the responsibilities not having my mom for emotional support. It's been hard, she said. But the worst part? Not knowing what's going to happen. Overwhelmed. Panicky. Vulnerable. Worried. Sad. That's how Tampa psychologist Ruben Ayoyo described Victor after Maria had been gone a month. He recommended the couple be considered a hardship case and wrote immigration officials a report saying they should allow Maria to return to her family. In the summer of 2018, Maria applied for another interview, trying again to get a waiver. Then they waited. At Christmas, Victor told, took the oldest kids to see her in Mexico, a 27-hour drive. Maria's living with her brothers in a house without hot water, air conditioning, or heat. The electricity often goes out. Soon after Victor got back to Clearwater, he had two more things to worry about. The Maria had been taking birth, con birth control pills. She was pregnant with twin girls. They're due the last week of September. I wanted to get her out of Mexico in time for them to be born in the United States, Victor said. But soon it will be too late for her to travel. This summer, he sent the kids to stay with their mother, to cheer her up, to help with toddler Aaron, and to get a feeling for what it's like to live in Mexico. He hasn't Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Talk to them about that possibility. Not yet. They've never lived anywhere but Clearwater. Two weeks ago, Maria got word that her application for a second waiver has been approved. She doesn't have a date for the next interview, but the form she filled out said it won't be before December, months after the twins are born. Everything's really delayed right now. The processing is so slow, said Sadaji, the Illinois attorney. Four years ago, if this happened in the old system, you could get a new interview in a month. Victor left for Mexico on Friday to bring the oldest kids back to Florida to start school. I don't want to be apart, Maria told Victor via FaceTime recently, wiping tears. Having our family together is more important than wherever we are. I will only be happy when we are together, Victor agreed, even if we have nothing to eat but cactus and beans. Victor and Maria know they might have to make a choice. If she can't come back, he and the kids have to go. So this was a this was a tough story because it was like we were really drawn to their story. Um, it's obviously very emotional, but immigration these days is a really hard topic. Yeah, and I think you and I have been talking for a month. There's more about like what can we do with immigration here? What what's our Florida slice right, right. of this story? I mean, we don't have borders that people are waiting at to cross over. So I, I was happy to find a piece of it that could be kind of self-contained and not have to sort of examine the whole issue or process right 
it's a little snapshot. We had, so Claire McNeil, who's on the Enterprise team, is friends with Victor's boss and was just catching up with him one day and, and kind of got inspired by the boss who just, who's married to, she, he's married to a Brazilian, Brazilian. Woman, right? Mm-hmm. And so he, they had done a little of the immigration dance and they, but they were coming out on the other side of it and doing well. And, and he just felt for this, his employees so much. And cause he's such a nice fella. Well, he yeah, is a nice fella. I think he was struck. I think Dan, the boss was struck too, by how different his process of getting his wife legal was from Victor's process. Yeah. Even though Victor was a citizen, you know, Dan being an American born versus naturalized. I, I think he was really like, what the he hell? Why is this so different? Yeah. yeah. So we, we talked consciously about how to, you know, how do we embrace a story? What, what do we do in this story to, to address those readers who are just going to tune out maybe, you know, who fright from the beginning are not going to be sympathetic, even though it's a, you know, it's, um, if you take politics out of it or you take however you feel about it out of it, and you know, it's, it's a story about a family that's separated and, and that's, that's difficult. But so, and then he actually gave us a way to do that. Victor did, right? Because you, you talked about that. You talked specifically to him about what would he say to, I mean, what does he, what does he think? And what would he say to people, right? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of prepped him like I do my people sometimes, but there's going to be some haters, you know, especially right. in the comments, there's going to be people saying mean and negative things and I want him to be prepared, but he had definitely thought that through already. And, and it was real help. I mean, you were helpful in helping me figure this out too, because I think I was, I was really worried about like people just dismissing him as oh another illegal immigrant who cares, you know? Right. Um, but I think it, having his perspective and his realization that that was going to be a thing um, was helpful in, in terms of like setting up the haters <laughs> when they were going to come anyway. I mean, I think one of the things I, to me that always draws me to human interest stories, um, you know, aside from the political. So this is a topical story because the politics are underlying everything. But like, so they feel very real to me. They feel like like I loved what you did in sort of taking us back to when he first meets her and how they fell in love. And then they're stupid. They're young and stupid. Right. Who hasn't been there? Right. Um, So she does a stupid thing. And then, uh, you know, but she comes over and then they have a life. And um, I don't know. It's so complicated. What I love about this story is it takes this very complicated issue and it brings it down to this one family where like even that even that passage where you said like she was invisible I mean really they came out from the shadows themselves to try to make things right that was something I really was drawn to they they didn't get caught you know because right. somebody was after them they like were trying to fix things and then it just made it worse and I, I think there's something inherently sympathetic about that yeah um so we, we, we were talking about like how we found the we were trying to find immigration attorneys because really the times doesn't do a lot of immigration stories we are not you know it we probably should. I'm not saying we we shouldn't. It's just we're not a border state. It hasn't been one of those issues. We have a lot of folks who came from Puerto Rico, of course, who are Americans after the storm, but we, we're not a border state. Nobody has that beat. Yeah, no, and nobody has that beat here anymore. So, but, um, but we were, <laughs> we were trying to find immigration attorneys and I, I had picked a card up at the Cuban restaurant down the street and I gave that to Lane. That's how we found one of these guys. Yeah. I had actually called the attorney they had from Catholic Charities. I thought I'll just use their attorney. He'll be fine. And after like nine phone calls and him not returning my call and like crickets on the other end, I was like, we need an expert. So Maria had this card from the, the Cuban restaurant. And then I, Another woman on the, you guys have heard Leonora LaPeter Anton on our podcast too. She, she sits in our cube and is on our team and she said, oh, my college roommate's a big time ass 
immigration attorney in Illinois. So that's how we found her as well. Like experts can come from anywhere, right? Like, yeah. So we tried to make it very, um, I mean, it is a story of a family. I caught in all of this swirl, but very much about the family dynamic. And actually, we were really drawn to the girl. I mean, it like, and I, I think that's still a fascinating story is being a 15-year-old who's born in this country and, you know, caught in this situation. And we were thinking, too, like, she's the one that probably a lot of people would be sympathetic to because she had no control over anything that happened. Right. And I just thought it was heartbreaking that she couldn't tell her friends. You know, Victor was talking about how one of the things that helped her get through was she had this great group of friends in high school, and but she couldn't even tell them that her mom was no longer there. You know, didn't even try to explain it to anybody. I thought that was so sad. Um, what do you think of his motive? I know you spoke to it a little bit, but his motivation in telling the story. I mean, you, he said like he just wanted people. I'm not, I don't think he thought that anything would come of this story necessarily. Right. Because he was pretty realistic about. I mean, I guess he was hopeful, but I, he, I don't think he thought that it would help him necessarily. I just think he was wanted to throw this out there as a cautionary tale, like, hey, other immigrants, if you decide to <laughs> become legit <laughs> don't, and don't speak up, turn yourself in, here's what might happen. I mean, because like the attorney said, this hadn't happened in 20 years and all of a sudden everything's changing in the way they enforce these archaic laws, you know, which I, was an interesting thought to us. Too, that that in the middle of everything it's not like the, yeah the the targets are changing the rules are changing so they probably did get legit advice at some point along the way people were actually telling them what seemed like the right thing to do and then the rules changed well even in the what did we spend on this story two weeks maybe three weeks including the writing and editing yeah. even in that amount of time between the time that Shirley the attorney said they've never done this before the Right, then the rules came The out. rules came out, and there was a front-page story about, like, hey, we're changing the interpretation of these rules. And I was like, oh, we kind of broke no, news No, we were, we were first. <laughs> we were Our first. story was first. Yeah, we kind of then. broke the news that, like, this is happening now. Which, not that it was a news story, but, it, you know, it was definitely on the cusp of what was changing. So you're such an empathetic person anyway. What do you, when you're talking to this man, and, like, you're, I'm sure you're, like, wanting to lean over and give him a hug and, like, <laughs> like give him 20 bucks. What do you, how do you, what do you do? How do you, you know... How do you put that wall up or what do you, or do you try to put up a wall? That was my first inclination was, can I just like help Julia while her mom's gone? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll adopt her. You know, um, no, I cried through a lot of that interview. I really did. And and he was pretty emotional, um, which I didn't did John necessarily cry? Did John expect. Pendergraf cry? John didn't sit through that big interview with oh, okay, us. So. He came to the warehouse to take trailer pictures, okay. but he probably would have cried if he'd been there. <laughs> but then we went back to, um, he told us, you know, he FaceTimed with his family every night. And so, of course, we were like, can we be there? You know, and that was the time I think it got John when Maria was on the iPhone on the other end speaking Spanish. I couldn't understand her, but John could. And that's when John finally started getting emotionally involved you know but it was it, you know I thought how are we going to talk to Maria I, I, I can't interview her and, and you know I could call her I guess long distance but f having her on FaceTime and watching him interact with her and then she's like you want to talk to Julia and here's Julia and pan around here's the baby it was it was nice to have that moment that not just for reporting the scene but actually to to do a, a bit more interviewing you know you know one thing we didn't we didn't sort of hammer like it, we sort of let it be subtly uh, it just it's just there, but these are not the people that, when the rhetoric gets really heated and we talk about criminals or you know people who are going to come and and either do bad things or take advantage of America or whatever, these aren't those people, right? These these are these this is a working guy with 
you know, a family, all these kids are American. Um, so I, I mean, I feel like, you know, we consciously, we didn't like, we didn't sit there and stop the story to say, Hey, you know, this, these, these people feel like they're sort of outside the swirl of everything that's, that's just gone on. But, but they are They're That's what makes it so, so difficult. They're not, they're not, they're not causing any problems necessarily. I mean, I, you know, yes, they, they were taking food stamps, but does that mean that in a generation or two, they would be, you know, all these kids are going to be contributing to this country? I mean. Exactly. I mean, and who can, who can fault them for taking food stamps? He's working. He's got all these kids. He's paying into the system, you know. But I think, you know, we background everybody before we write about him, obviously. So I knew these guys had zero criminal record. And I, I don't think I was thinking that I'm going to ask him, do you do drugs? Do you drink? You know, but the very first thing he said and the very first thing Maria said was, we are really good people. You know, we don't do drugs. We don't drink. And I thought that was also kind of sad that they knew they had to, to try to justify yeah, to, to justify that or to like put that assumption to rest, you know, before they even told their story. They wanted people to know they weren't those bad <laughs> Mexicans that Trump talks about. What um, what's the update? OK, so I talked to Victor this morning. Um, one of the things I truly, truly love about being a reporter is when things happen because of my stories, even though I didn't ask for anything to happen, you know, um, his boss set up a GoFundMe account, um, after the story came out. So we were able to link to that on our story. They got $3,850 donated, including one $1,000 donated from another immigrant who said he totally saw himself in that story. Um, most of that money he used to pay off the hospital costs for having the twins born in Mexico. Because the twins were born early. The so twins the story were born said they early. were due in late September, but they made they were quick. They were born August 20th, um, Valentina and Victoria, and they stayed in the hospital for a while. They were preemies, and they were both on oxygen. So all that GoFundMe money, I don't know what he would have done without that because that paid off their hospital bills. Um, but the other good thing that happened was that um, Senator Charlie Crist, who used to be our governor here in Florida, had someone from his office contact Victor and Victor's boss and me, um, and they were able to pull some strings and get her appointment moved from the end of December to early November so she can go back to the consulate in Juarez then and repetition um, to come back to the United States. Uh, he said this morning, that's great, you know, they want to get him back as quick as they can, but they don't have the money for the paperwork to, to process all these papers for his wife and the two babies. Now it's going to cost about 2500 more dollars. Um, and he's been out of work for a few weeks because he was traveling back and forth. So it, he, the money is really a big issue, especially because they're not on food stamps anymore. Um, and then they told him it was going to take at least six months to process the paperwork if they approve the waiver. But it, they're hopeful, at least. There's some there's some hope where there wasn't before, really. They're and hopeful. And, and you know, it really it was a good reminder to me as a journalist, like politicians and elected officials read these stories. You know, I, I couldn't have made a difference for them with calling the consulate, but the senator can right all right on that note if you have a question for lane on this story or any others or would like to suggest a podcast topic please email it to write lane at tampa bay.com that's w-r-i-t-e-l-a-n-e at tampa bay.com join us next week on wednesday morning for the next podcast this podcast was produced by monica herndon music was composed and performed by dan de gregory thanks for listening 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.